Welcome to Off Screen. Let's get cinematic. Still on your couch. I'm Bex Perfect. And I'm Van Connor. Boom! I like a boom. I've not done a boom in a while. I know. Well, I quite like it when we mix it up a little bit. Boom to you. <laughs> we're switches. We That's what it is. We're switches. <laughs> we're switches. Uh, what have we got on the plate today? We've got two big releases on digital. We've obviously got all our free view offerings and some streaming as well for you. Should we kick off with something a little bit digital? Uh, indeed. So infamous, which uh, th- this is a wacky one, because I saw the poster for this ages ago, and I assumed it was something like Nerve. Remember Nerve yeah. with... Is it uh, Emma Roberts and Dave Franco? That kind of thing where it's all neon and social network friendly and it's all about it. And it is to an extent, it is neon and it is about social networking. But I think it was you that pointed it out best to me because you watched it just before I did um, and compared it to Queen and Slim. Wow. Queen and Slim with followers. Yes, I did. did. I'll I'll leave it for a little bit as to what I said in terms of that comparison. (laughs) But let's talk about what it actually is all about because it it is, it is quite an interesting concept. It's essentially a modern-day Bonnie and Clyde story. So you've got a young Florida woman called Ariel, not Ariel. She's really annoyed that her mum has named her after. She's big on that. Age. Really big on that. You learn that very early on. She's really bored with her life in Florida, so she basically teams up with her boyfriend, who's an ex-con, to commit crimes and escape their current situation. So they basically start documenting the robberies on social media, or she pushes that a lot more than he does. And the two quickly become sensational. On, on social media and she finally gets the fame that she's always been craving. Baby, something like this could make us famous. No, you can't go posting about our exploits on the internet because the cops are going to figure us no, out. No, I'm not going to get us caught, okay? I have an IP blocker, easy. I'll never show our faces. Look, fame equals money equals getting out. How much of what we're trying to do anyway? Dean... I told you I wanted to be famous. And nobody cares about, like, some random girl from the Redneck Riviera, okay? Now a couple of teenagers robbing their way across America. That's worth following me. So I quite love like the concept of this because we I always thought that we'd see more films that really push on the kind of social media sensation more than we have. Um, it follows along the lines of films like Mad Love with Drew Barrymore and Chris O'Donnell, and mm. then also, you know, we mentioned Queen and Slim, but also like Thelma and Louise in a way as well. So there's loads of great yes, films. actually, yeah, there's lots of links to to sort of more iconic films that maybe you guys would be familiar with. The problem that I think with, that this film has is that it is very like most most recently Queen and Slim but it's kind of a poor man's version of it because I was uh, I was calling it Duchess uh, was it Duchess and Skinny that was my one Duchess and Skinny um, these characters aren't likeable in any way shape or form no they really aren't are they no and I think you really need to have a balance of likability like in Thelma and Louise you kind of know they got themselves accidentally into a bad situation it, it snowballs they're not sure how to deal with it and by the time you get to the ending you're like oh my god with this one I just didn't care and I hated Bella Thorne's character all the way through that is the interesting thing because I think there is uh, you know that thing I have about Miles Teller how I just despise Miles Teller you simply present me with an image of Miles Teller and I feel my stomach contort 
rot and shrivel like deep inside me and my guts go with it um i know for, i know from experience that there are an awful lot of people particularly women who have that with bella thorne and uh, you put her in something it depends on the character you have her play if you put her in something like the duff where she is sort of mean girl type it works if you have her as the protagonist Nathan, it really doesn't because she is in no way likable or engaging in a lead sense and that's before you get to, i can't even remember jake morley something like that the sort yeah. of derek hoff looking twink they've gotten the, the the lead here who just really has no charisma whatsoever to say he's in the sort of daniel Kaluuya, you know archetypical role in this it just it's not engaging at all they're, they're both very unlikable and the fact that the script is as weak as it is means that you can't then rely on the casting which is, you know, that's, that's basically cutting the legs out from under it. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, the, the character Dean in this, played by Jake Manley, is, mm. is just wet. Jake like, Manley. Yes, he's just wet, right? So basically, Bella Thorne's character, Ariel, is, is driving this all the way through for her own fame. And not once does he kind of really with any gusto go, we've gone too far, we need to stop. And he never puts his foot down. And this is the problem. Oh, he really doesn't. He doesn't get to do that voice of reason. As you can hear in the clip, he challenges the social media aspect of it, but not the actual thing they're doing. And that's before you get to all the other things in this. I mean, okay, weird observation I made from, a couple of weird observations I made from this one. First of all, she's like a white trash waitress, you know, slash high school student living in poverty in Florida. How does she afford an iPhone? Not I mean, that's, that's my first question. Not only an iPhone, pristine Converse high tops as well, which really annoys me. <laughs> the other thing is, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to credit vaping with this, when did teen actors stop knowing how to smoke? Because it's very prevalent in this movie. <laughs> Look, I think look for for I think when I say it's going to divide audiences, I think there is a teen audience for this. I think they're like a slightly aspirational, in the wrong direction, like thrills and spills type audience for this. Anyone with a little bit of sense to them will see the really weak parts of this film pretty early on, like yeah. the lack of empathy, the scripting being really predictable, and ultimately it builds up to nothing. Well, so, I mean, it's one of those that begins sort of in media res, you know, opens and closes with the same kind of scene everything happens sort of bookends everything um i will give it credit because i do think it's quite well shot by uh, joshua coldwell um it's very evocative i think of spring breakers at times mm-hmm. and i think that might be the florida setting it's very much going for that that same time that harmony corinth had in spring breakers and, and there are moments of flourishes like with the comments on social media that flash across the screen things like that that are done very bombastically and i think work very well and that is i think again a credit to something more like spring breakers than the material you've got here um, I don't know. I uh, I thought it was all right. I didn't think it was anything much. I mean, I did credit it down as base. I, I literally wrote it down as fine, but it's queen and slim for sort of idiotic, social media-obsessed white teenagers. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'd probably give it about one thumb, to be honest. One thumb. I think it's a one-thumber, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah. All right, let's move on then. So Proxima, you can talk to me all about this because I was so scarred by Infamous that I didn't st- <laughs> manage to watch this one. <laughs> <laughs> right, so uh, Proxima, new movie from, and I'm very happy because I did not know this was her until I sat down to watch it, Alice Vinicor, who brought us Disorder a couple of years ago with uh, Matthias Schoenart, which I was a huge fan of. I'm so happy to see her name on this. This is not so much based on the specific true story, I think, so much based on the abstract reality, which is of female astronauts and the relationship they have with their children, particularly their daughters, as they, you know, enroll in this program that isolates them and takes them, you know, 
know, away for a significant amount of time. Ava Green is Sarah. She is a French astronaut who is sort of our protagonist here. It's about her strained relationship with her young daughter. She's separated from her father, uh, from the kid's father, and she goes into the program. She's under the tutelage of mission leader, I think he's Mike, played by Matt Dillon, who's still acting. Remember Matt Dillon? Wow, gosh. Yeah, I hadn't seen him since you, me, and Dupree in 2006, but he's still out there. He's amazing. He's he's one of those, he was that 80s, early 90s t- heartthrob that you kind of look back and you're gonna, you kind of go, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, for me now, I look at him and just think, oh, it's Johnny Drama's brother. Hasn't aged a day. But, uh, you know, it's all about the strain that this, uh, this, this programme puts on the relationship she had with her, has with her daughter. And also, just the logistics and the difficulties of being a female astronaut. So are you ready for tomorrow? Yeah, sure. I looked at your schedule. I think you ought to ask him to lighten your load. Lighten it? <laughs> Why lighten it? I'm just saying for your sake, and I'm also thinking about Jürgen. What do you mean? Well, maybe you don't have to do absolutely everything. Why not? I'm just saying it might be in your best interest and in the best interest of all of us if you uh, ask for a lighter prep schedule. It's not a reflection on your uh, core skills. Okay, Mike. Can we move on? Sorry, but um, what do you know about my core skills? I, I liked a lot about this, i got to admit. Do you know what I was just thinking? How much does Josh Brolin sound like Matt Dillon? <laughs> I don't know. I think Josh Brolin's. I think Josh Brolin's a lot smoother, both physically and stylistically, than than Matt Dillon's. Funny story. Matt Dillon was once my pick. Once upon a time, for who would be my potential casting, my, my sort of dream casting for Iron Man. And yeah, that kind of tells you how <laughs> off the mark I was on that one. But um, this is this is great. This is a really solid film. This is an eight out of ten, two thumbs up from me. I think uh, Vinicor shoots the hell out of it. It's either Vinicor or Vinicor. I go with. Uh, shoots the hell out of it. It won't be everyone's cup of tea for reasons I'll get to in a moment, but it's really soulful. It's really riveting. It's a, a very hefty drama. It's got heft. It's got substance. And it's all anchored with this blinding turn from Ava Green. Um, it works not by subverting the expectations of its story, because it's quite nuts and bolts in its story. You know it's going to go from A to B to C. It's going to have this specific ending and so forth. Um, but it works by just allowing the emotional heart of that story just sort of room to sort of breathe and fully unfold and, and for you to actually explore the toll this takes. There's a lot in there, there's there's a lot of uh, practical logistics about being a female astronaut that I simply have never considered. I thought this was really great. I, I genuinely thought this was a brilliant film. Well directed, well acted, well staged, well executed. Um, frankly, well worth anyone's time. So that is your two on digital offerings for this week. We've got one which will I suppose wet the palettes for a teenage audience and another one that's very much more adult and intellectual so we'll move swiftly on after this coming up we've got your movies on tv Welcome back to Off Screen, and as Bexer said, it's uh, it's time for some movies on TV, specifically movies on Freeview, because we don't like to exclude those who like to subscribe to premium channels. We're the great equaliser. We like everyone to be comfy on the same level couch. So let's talk about Saturday Night then, Bex, one that uh, I know you and I have very fond memories of. We yes. had a great time watching this. We had a great time watching the sequel, I think, a year or two later as well. Um, it is on Film 4, Saturday Night, 9pm, prime slot. 
It is, of course, Happy Death Day. It's Groundhog Day with a serial killer. What's not to love? This is this is kind of Scream meets Groundhog Day. Like, it literally. really is. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's about a girl who basically she is at college. It's is it her birthday? I can't quite remember. Or is that the second? That's the it is her. No, it is her birthday. Yeah. And I think the second is the second one. The day after her birthday is that how it yeah, works? Yeah, it's something like that. But it basically, she essentially has a Groundhog Day moment where she just keeps waking up. There's a killer on the loose. Uh, she has to kind of work out how to defeat this killer. And it just plays the same scene over and over again. And what I love about it is you just get sit, you get to see her be even more angry every time it plays out. Look, I know this isn't going to make any sense, but I have already lived through this day twice. Treat. No, no, no! Believe me, I know it sounds totally crazy, but this is happening to me. I swear to God. Treat. I'm sure it feels like you're. Like, oh, okay, okay. You made me a cupcake. For my birthday, right? You're about to give it to me, and then later on tonight, there's a surprise party. Who told you? Was it back No, here? no, nobody told me. That's what I mean. Don't you see? I know what is going to happen before it happens. Jesus, Lori. Lori, somebody's going to kill me tonight. Do you remember her character's name, or did you pick it up in that clip? Because it's the one weird detail I always remember about this movie. No, I didn't, no. Her name is Tree. Tree oh, Gelbman. Yes. Now you say it. Who's called Tree? It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bizarre, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, I mean, also, I will admit that I have a huge thing for Jessica Roth in this movie. Oh, God. Anyway, um, so, neither here is nor Jessica there. Um, is Jessica, Jessica Roth, Roth is Jessica Roth she's, is, in fact, the lead. I, I'm intrigued. I think she's actually really, really good in this. She plays it really well. What else has she done? Well, she's not really done an awful lot. I think she was one of Emma Stone's uh, best, best besties sort of like one of the background characters in La La Land but she has recently turned up in the straight to streaming remake of Valley Girl I think that's on on Netflix maybe so she's she's taken the lead in there which you know perfect what? casting when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it is. But she's. Do you know what? She's better. She's. She should be doing more mainstream stuff. She proved herself in this and also the sequel. Um, look, it's a good slasher film. It's got some really funny moments. You kind of see her, as I alluded to when we were sort of setting the scene for this, that she kind of goes from despair through to, oh my god, this is ridiculous. It's, it's when it's when she goes really comedic in both films that the the real the real gold comes out because the film does take a swivel in both cases as all Groundhog Day kind of movies always have to in a sense they have to have a bit where you embrace the absurdly comedic element of it in both films that's the case but doing it with a slasher movie setup is just absolute gold and she's a great comedic performer as well yeah she really is so there we go that's your Saturday night that's Happy Death Day don't be put off by the title because I think the title so you can look at it and go, ah, that sounds rubbish. It's not. It's a really, really fun film to watch. Um, if you do like the slasher Absolutely. genre and you enjoy Groundhog Day, this is the perfect combination. So that's film for 9pm Saturday. Moving on to Sunday, uh, we have Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom ITV2, 6.30pm. This is kind of the new direction for Jurassic Park in general, isn't it? Yes, as it is. The park is gone, I believe is the tagline this time along. And of course, the, 
events of this film we're going to see play out, the, the, the result of which we're going to see play out um, in the currently filming Jurassic World Dominion, which I think was the first production to resume post-COVID, well, not post-COVID, but to resume after sort of the lockdown and everything. Uh, this is, of course, the second of the new trilogy of the Jurassic Park series, Jurassic World. This reunites uh, Bryce, Dallas, How- Bryce Dallas Howard's character um, of Claire Deering with Owen Grady, played by Chris Pratt, who are summoned by a reclusive billionaire, the previously unmentioned partner of Richard Attenborough's uh, John Hammond, to go to Jurassic Park, to go to Jurassic World on Ila Sauna and help liberate the dinosaurs, because it turns out they just really didn't follow through on the planning permission for Jurassic Park, and they built the damn thing on top of what turns out to be an active volcano. And this sets off a series of events that happen to play into the hands of a series of, of evil megalomaniacal, you know, money-hungry corporate types who... Not a word, but it is a word, but it's a tough word. And who want the dinosaurs for their own ends. Lockwood's little flunky called me. Rescue up. Save the dinosaurs from an island that's about to explode. What could go wrong? I'm going. Don't. I don't have a choice. What? Of course you have a choice. So what, I should just build my own cabin, play pool, and drink beer all day while these dinosaurs go extinct? Yeah. I like pool. Blue is alive. Jesus, Claire. You raised her, Owen. You you spent years of your life working with her. You're just going to let her die? Well, yeah. Come on, you're a better man than you think you are. You should write fortune cookies. <laughs> That's a terrible line of dialogue. You should yeah. write fortune cookies. Coaching oh, Um Chris Pratt, he's a raptor trainer in this, isn't he? Yes, Owen Grady is, I believe, a former Navy SEAL and I think at one point dolphin trainer, I think it comes up as... Uh, very weird story. Very, very weird story, this one. Um, can't figure that one out. I think because when they get to this second one, they start to play up exactly how involved uh, Chris Pratt's character is in the development of Jurassic World. It doesn't make a whole heap of sense, but you know what? It's a fun movie. Uh, mm. J.A. Bayona, who uh, took over directing this one from Colin Trevorrow, who is back to direct the next one, obviously. Um, but J.A. Bayona, who comes from, you know, sort of Spanish language horror, you do get to see that played out with, you know, CGI dinosaurs and velociraptors and indoraptors and it's a good time the gothic horror in the second half of the film I think is better than the retread that is the first half but there's a lot to like in this film I think it's it's like a slightly better version of the lost world yeah and I I I did enjoy it I think I I kind of I liked the direction it was going in and you needed something new as well in order to kind Mm. of maintain the franchise so look guys if you're after if you love dinosaurs and you didn't go to the drive-in cinema to see the original like me then this might be a healthy alternative for you. So that is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. That's on ITV2 at 6.30pm. So over to uh, Monday night then. This is to kick off your next week. This is one that I think we both love quite dearly. Uh, funny story with this. We can never play the clip that everyone asks us to. So please don't tweet. Don't email. We already thought about it. We would have played the clip if for language reasons we could have. We can't use the Jason Statham clip from Spy, which is on film for Monday night at 9pm. We all want to use the Jason Statham clip, yes, but we can't. Um, this is a course the story of a, a sort of you know dowdy admin type from the cia nsa cia something like that yeah, CIA. Uh, played by melissa mccarthy yeah. 
who is who is sent on a mission when the identities of all other spies are compromised, and uh, she you know she's she's always wanted to be a field agent. She's completely ill-equipped to do so, and it's all about the effort she puts into to stop a maniacal supervillain played by Rose Byrne from getting her hands on, I think, a nuclear warhead. The bottom line is, Reina Boyanov is about to sell a small-scale tactical nuclear weapon to a terrorist organization, and we don't know where she or the bomb is. Fortunately, our analyst Susan Cooper found a lead. I told you to send me in there instead of fine, and you didn't. And now fine's dead. I'm going to in. You can't. Here's what we do. I go into the face-off machine, get a whole new face. Do you have quarters? Because it costs 50 cents. Well, go pay. No, because it doesn't exist. You look at the cast list on this. This is quite incredible for this film. Okay, so it is, isn't it? Yeah, you've obviously got Melissa McCarthy. You've obviously got Jason Statham in there as well. Rose Byrne, as you mentioned, but you've also got Jude Law, Miranda Hart, Marina Baccarin, who is from, um, I think she's from Homeland. I remember oh, her. Uh, Marina Baccarin. She was Brady Gray's wife in Homeland. She yeah. is Commissioner Gordon's Commissioner Gordon's girlfriend, I think, in Batman. She is most importantly to me in Nara from Serenity as well. Oh yeah. yeah. But she's the sort of she isn't she sort of the it girl in this. I should point out as well. I said that we couldn't use the Jason save. I did mean the one where he talks about you know driving off a cliff whilst on fire with his eyeball hanging out like that. I didn't realise we had the face-off clip actually to hand, so well, the my, face-off my bad. Um, you've also it's got brilliant. Alison Janney in this as well. So, look, it's, oh, it's an all-star... Yeah, she's brilliant, and you heard that, and that's what te- that, like just tripped me into kind of going, I need to kind of find out exactly who's in this cast, because it's, mm. it's brilliant. And do you know what? It, it's one of those things, it's a Paul Feig film, it's got all the elements of you enjoy Paul Feig's work that, that kind of work together. Melissa McCarthy doing her thing really well. She's been a bit hit or miss of late, but actually this one has really worked for her. So Spy is a good, solid watch for your weekend. Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you on your couch with even more movies. And I'm telling you what, this next block of movies you are going to love us for because they are excellent and they are some of mine and Van's favourite. I think I'm topping and tailing it with my two favourite films. (laughs) (laughs) And Van's got the middle two. So we're going to kick off with End of Days. This is on ITV for 10pm. This is, I mean, this is an amazing film with an amazing cast. So this has got Arnie, first and foremost, need I say more? Yeah, then yeah. We've, got, we've got Gabriel Byrne and we've got Robin Tunney as well from The Craft um, now this story is all about the devil yes you thought of it yes I'm saying it's correct mm-hmm. it is yep. the devil who crashes a New Year's party in New York and he basically inhabits a man's body uh, and that man looks like Gabriel Byrne and um, he searches essentially for his bride who is this woman called Christine York she's never always been you know that normal but something uh, there's something outerworldly for her but he basically wants her to bear his ch- child to let him destroy the world and it's up to essentially like a security guard guy to protect her let me tell you something about him he is the biggest underachiever of all time he just did a good publicist that's all something good happens it's his will something bad happens he moves in mysterious ways you take that that overblown press kit they call the bible you look for the answer in there what did they tell you it happens please he treated you like garbage you walked away I'm not the bad guy. What about the end of days? Think of it as a new beginning. A change of management. And you'll be right there with me on the ground floor. It will be so cool. 
Okay, a couple of things about this movie that I love. First of all, this was released, as you pointed out, was at the end of November 1999. The movie is set on New in a couple of days leading up to the millennium, so the bulk of the action takes place on December 31st, 1999. This movie was released and positioned as a millennium blockbuster. I don't know if you remember, we went through a brief period where we had a lot of millennium movies. Uh, mm. We had a Bond movie that was supposed to tie into the millennium and then they, they changed it out for uh, The World Is Not Enough. Um, Christine York, Christ in New York. Love that. Uh, Arnie's name in this is incredibly lacking in subtlety given the biblical connotation. His name is Jericho Kane. I mean, <laughs> good God. And, and of course, Kevin Pollard. He's written all over it, <laughs> oh, it really does. Um, it's it's directed by Peter Hyams, who gave us Time Cop. That's something worth noting as well. So it's got an action pedigree in there. Some really great, uh, some really great set pieces in this. Uh, Kevin Pollock and CCH Pounder as sort of sidekicks on on Arnie's side. Uh, Mir- uh, what's his name? Uh, Miranda Margolis, I think, as as the sort of nursemaid, and just a really great movie. And of course, it left me with the the obvious questions. First of all, how had Guns and Roses come to suck that badly by 1999? And also, how big are Arnie's wrists that he can fit two full size Glock handguns up inside each sleeve? <laughs> it is the most bizarre thing. Like I just pointed out to you, have you ever seen the size of a Glock handgun? They're enormous. They really are. Great movie, worth checking out completely. Yeah. Some really iconic visuals in it as well, actually. So Gabriel Byrne, amazing um, villain in this. Um, so was, there's something very attractive about him at the same time as putting <laughs> devil. It's so weird. Like, I can't even describe it. Anyway, there is a review, a very short review of this from the New York Times. And I think this sums up this movie really well. It's ex-cop protects Satan's unwilling bride, blood-soaked and ridiculous. That's all you need to know. It's worth your time since 1999 is all I'm going to say. This is this is the well, movie the you can always revisit. You could genuinely reductively refer to this as it's Terminator with Satan. Yeah, which kind of works really. It's protect the protect the girl from you know the evil you know evil monster thing. In this case, not an, not a robot. It's you know Satan himself. But a great movie, definitely one to check. Yes, out. definitely. Um, keeping with the action vibe, though, I'm going to take you over to ITV4 on Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. We've talked about this movie briefly in the past. Uh, one of my favorite actions of the early 90s. It's 1993's Passenger 57, starring none other than Wesley Snipes. It is a hell of a ride. This one. He is he is John Cutter. He is an airport an, uh, an airline security expert who specializes in counter-terrorism happens to be a passenger on a plane on, on which they are transporting a federal uh, a federal prisoner who happens to be a, a mass murderer named Charles Rain said murderer gets his flunkies in as the staff or to pose as the staff which includes Elizabeth Hurley incidentally so we get evil Liz Hurley in her sort of prime modeling years in this as well um, all hell breaks loose he escapes takes the plane hostage and it's up to John Cutter to save the day Plan not working out the way you want it? Don't flatter yourself, Cutter. You prevented nothing. Although it seems I may have underestimated him. Dumping the fuel is quite ingenious. At least Mr. Douglas's body won't have so far to fall now. <laughs> well, maybe Vincent could hitch a ride with him on his way down. You know, Charlie, I'm a little surprised at you. Didn't your father ever teach you never send a boy to do a man's job? <laughs> Speaking of boys... Our stewardess friend must be feeling particularly unsatisfied. Charlie, you ever play roulette? On occasion. Well, let me give you a word of advice. 
always bet on black. That is one of my favourite payoff lines of the 90s, always bet on black. (laughs) Strangely, despite the fact that they reference Passenger 57 in the first Bad Boys movie, they don't use that line, which seems like a missed opportunity to me. Um, Great cast for this one. Tom Sizemore's in there, Bruce Payne, Bruce Greenwood, so you know, two Bruce's for the prize of one. A great ride. Do see if you've never seen Passenger 57, this was the height of the die hard in a dot 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 trend. So do see this one. This is one of the better ones. Uh, great vehicle for Wesley Snipes. I think this was his follow up release to Demolition Man. I think he did Demolition Man and then this. Oh, so great, great pairing for him. Such a heyday. Oh, yeah. Right, let's move so. on to Thursday for you. We've got, well, actually one of both mine and Van's favourite films. This is Gone Girl. It's on 4-7 at 9pm. The David Fincher masterpiece, I'd almost describe it. It stars yeah. Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. It basically tells the tale of um, a guy called Nick Dunn who discovers that his wife is missing. There's a disappearance and the media is swarming and focusing on him on the day of their fifth wedding anniversary. Speaking of which, Amy's blood type. God, I don't know. I have to look it up at the house. You don't know if she has friends. You don't know what she does all day. And you don't know your wife's blood type. Sure, y'all are married. <laughs> I, I Maybe it's type O. Where are her folks? New York? Yeah. Can they get here in time for this press conference tomorrow? Tomorrow? I, I have no idea. I haven't talked to them. You haven't called your wife's parents I yet? I mean, you can't get a signal in this building. I've been in here talking to you. Well, call them, please, Nick, now. I know my wife's blood type. How this film didn't send Rosamund Pike stratospheric, I will yes. never understand. This is probably one of her finest performances. And also Ben Affleck as well. He's brilliant in this. Mm. Um, it's also the film that kind of that has Neil Patrick Harris in it. It launches Emily Ratajkowski as well, um, beyond a Robin Thicke video. Wait, you mean and- without Gone Girl, we wouldn't have the delight of the Entourage movie? Perish the thought, Rebecca. Perish the thought. But do you know what? This is, as you probably all know, it's based on the the um, brilliant novel by Gillian Flynn. Isn't it? Um, I read the novel before I watched this movie, and I have to say the adaptation is phenomenal. And um, there's a slight mm. change towards the end, but only minor, and works well for cinematic reasons uh, for that change to happen. But overall, it plays out because you you essentially chapter by chapter as you're reading it, it's like flashback versus uh, you know modern day, and it kind of works in that way, and it does it brilliantly on screen as well. I love this movie and implore you all to go and watch it. It is literally one of David Pinch's finest. I too am a fan of that particular work of cinema. <laughs> on to uh, Friday then. Uh, one, that's, uh, one that I know you're a fan of. So on BBC One 1045, what have we got, Miss Perfect? Well, we have got Interview with the Vampire. Now this, I can't believe it was out in 1995. This is this is dating me. Um, this is... Uh... I thought it was even longer than that. Wow. No, we are, that... First of all, we are, we're getting on in years. That's what it is. I know, I know. Let's not tell anyone right so um what um what i what i'm going to tell you about it is is basically the storyline so this is what you do is you you enter this film with a, a journalist called played by christian slater who's interviewing a um a vampire called lestat who is probably the one of the world's oldest vampires and he talks about how he turned um a guy called louis into a vampire as well and their sort of um i suppose it's their sort of exploits through a plague-ridden london at the time it's bonkers but brilliant so what do you do i'm a vampire (laughs) that's something i haven't heard before you uh you mean this literally i take it absolutely i was waiting for you in that alleyway 
watching you, watching me. And then you began to speak. What a lucky break for me. Perhaps lucky for both of us. You uh, said you were waiting for me. What were you going to do? Kill me, drink my blood, all that stuff? Yes. But you needn't be concerned with that now. This marked uh, one of the entries into what I describe as Brad Pitt's uh, 1990s period of uh, sex voice performances. Yeah. As in, every line is de- every line is delivered with this subtlety and that yeah. voice. Yeah. Also, the voice Brad Pitt uses in Meet Joe Black. It's his sex voice. And that's, that's, basically, what, that's basically how I describe this whole thing. It is a very sexy movie, though, isn't it? Oh, it is. It is. It's, it in, it's makes vampires sexy in almost a traditional way. So it's not having, mm. like, the, the kind of the twilight feel to it. There's nothing about that. It, it, it's a period drama with vampires. And it follows the exploits. It's got Tandy Newton in there. It's got, um, oh, yeah. yeah, it's got the debut from Kristen Dunst in here. You get amazing sort of scenes of, of um, France, of the UK, of um, South, of um, Southern America as well. There's loads Louisiana of kind of a place. Yeah, you kind of get, there's a lot going on in this movie. And let's not, and let's not bury the lead, of course, which is that my boy Christian Slater, as you could hear in the clip there, he's front and centre in this one. I miss Christian Slater in movies. Do you know what? He was he was my poster boy from in the nineties. I I had a massive crush on Christian Slater. I watched everything from like Pump Up the Volume to Heather's to this. He was my go-to guy, and I loved him for this. And and actually, it was probably the reason why I first watched Interview of the Vampire. But notoriously, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise didn't really get along during filming for this. Oh. But don't worry about that because you actually do see the chemistry there is still brilliant. So ever. Remaining, remaining. There's a, a lot of uh, homoerotically charged interplay, I think, between yeah. them, isn't there? There is a, a sort of a sadosexual kind of a, a, a mechanism going on between them, I think. Yeah, there is. And also, you know what? I think Tom Cruise is allowed to be in this film out there. You know, he's really, mm. he's brash and bold in this, where you've got Brad Pitt being quite reserved. And I think that contrast works really well. So look, BBC One, 10.45pm on your Friday night, Interview of the Vampire is an absolute classic. I would encourage you to watch this from 1995 the golden year of movies and uh, yeah I think you'll have a really really good time Welcome back to Off Screen for one last ride surfing that old sofa. So let's go with that. Well, we've not got much on the way of DVD this week unless you want the complete series of Orange is the New Black, which has uh, been released as a box set, I'm reliably informed. So uh, I'd say we just take it to the streams. What do you think, Bex? Oh, yes. And there's plenty of offerings on the streams from actually our favourite time period, in fact, isn't it? The 90s. <laughs> We should just call this 90s screen, shouldn't we? I'm happy happy to do that. I could talk for days. (laughs) Uh, We've got coming out on streaming on Netflix from Saturday 1st of August. We have Out of Sight. I know you are desperate to talk about this. And also then we've got The Mask. So let's talk about Out of Sight first. Well, Out of Sight is a film that has a, a special place in my heart. It is, uh, it was for me. This was this was peak Clooney. This was peak Clooney around this time because we got like From Dust Till Dawn, and then within a year we had this. I mean, we had The Peacemaker somewhere in between as well, which was the very first DreamWorks movie, incidentally. And uh, Out of Sight is that the movie is the reason I still carry a zipper lighter every day to this day <laughs> uh, because I just fell in love with this character of Jack Foley as played by George Clooney, who is this incredibly slick 
gentlemanly bank robber who falls in love, like love at first sight, with the federal marshal tasked with arresting him. She is played by a peak of hotness, J-Lo, uh, and it's all about the sort of chemistry between them, how they can't resist one another, and the sort of cat and mouse game that they play, you know, detective, you know, fugitive, and all the magic that comes in between. But I tell you what, it's all about the Kloontang, man. Who can I help you, sir? Loretta, you see the man talking to your bank manager has his case open? Oh, that's Mr. Gwyndon, one of our assistant managers. Our manager is Mr. Schoen, but he's not in today. But you see the man with the briefcase? Yes. That's my partner. He has a gun in there. And if you don't do exactly what I tell you, or if you give me any kind of a problem at all, I'm going to look over at my partner, and he's going to shoot your Mr. Gwyndon between the eyes. Now take one of those big envelopes and put as many hundreds, fifties, and twenties as you can pack into it. Nothing with bank straps or rubber bands. I don't want any dive packs. I don't want any bait money. Start with the second drawer and then the one over there underneath the money counter. Okay. It's okay. Come on, Loretta. Key's right there next to you. There you go. He's so cool in this. It's so hard to resist George Clooney in this movie. He is so cool, and this is so perfectly cast for him, because who does suave and relatable and just, you know, magnetising to watch on screen? I, I hate to say it, I did interview George Clooney once, and I was slightly disappointed in real life. I just want to keep him on the really? screen. Yeah. I just... interviewed him, I thought he was a delight. Oh, no, 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 he was delightful, but I think my sort of, oh my God, George Clooney sort of went a little bit when he's in real life. Oh, no, I absolutely had mine. I was like, dude, I will do anything you ask of me, just <laughs> ask me. <laughs> I don't lean that way, but I will. <laughs> but uh, out of sight, which got a great supporting cast as well. I think Ving Rhames is in there. Uh, Michael Keaton is in there as well. In a role, incidentally, Michael Keaton's role in this crosses over with Jackie Brown, which was around about the same time. Oh. Because both of these are based on Elmore Leonard novels. So what they did was Quentin Tarantino and Steven Soderbergh, between them, sort of agreed a kind of shared universe just never carried on in any other form but that character I think he's an FBI agent played by Michael Keaton crosses over from one to the other as well brilliant good bit of film knowledge there like it Hmm. Um, okay so that is out of sight if you've never seen that before it's an absolute classic you should watch it the chemistry is unreal between Clooney and J-Lo so definitely worth a watch now we also mentioned The Mask is coming out on Netflix as well I mean talk about another classic this is Jim Carrey in his heyday Oh, yes. This was Jim Carrey. I think this was the big role. This was the sort of debut, I think, for Cameron Diaz as well, who yeah. was a model at that time, like a 22-year-old model. And uh, I think who I still think is one of the ultimate movie pinups of the 90s, her in this movie in the red dress. I think it's such an iconic image. Mm. Uh, but, of course, the more iconic image is Jim Carrey with the green rubber face, which is just unforgettable, the big plastic teeth. And I'm still annoyed that I never got one of those masks in the 90s. I always wanted one. Uh, but the story of Stanley Gipkiss, the downtrodden, bank teller who finds the the wooden mask of Loki, the Norse god of mischief, which when you put it on at night takes you over and you become the embodiment of a non-Marvel Loki, like the actual original god of mischief Loki, uh, that leads him into trouble with the mob, which doesn't sound like 
conventional uh, fodder for a comedy, but you know what? Jim Carrey pulled it off, and this was absolutely the breakout role. Lots of uh, debts owed to Looney Tunes, works with Tex Avery, things like that. Just really grand, showed off CGI in a way that we had not seen at that point in the 90s, fusing uh, CGI with actual live-action attempts at cartoonishness that just nobody had ever seen. And I think a lot of the success of that is down to just how naturally animated Jim Carrey is, was, and always shall be. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. The interesting thing about this, now that it's coming out on Netflix, is going to be how it dates as a movie. Um, Because a lot of this was groundbreaking for its time. But 25, 30 years on, how are we going to look at it on the small screen? Because a lot of us won't have seen it for that amount of time. Well, that's the thing as well, because I mean, obviously it was a huge hit. It did find the bulk of its audience on video. So it's staggering actually how many of us are sort of accustomed to you know seeing it on the small screen. I must have watched it a thousand times on VHS over the over the over the early years, and I got it on DVD, and I watched it on Amazon. I think it was on Amazon Prime up until a year or two ago, and I remember watching it on there with sort of relatively recent eyes and thinking, actually, this holds up. This does hold up. I mean, Cameron Diaz is an entirely different human in that movie to what we know her as otherwise, but other than that, it's it holds up. <laughs> Listen, so there we go, guys. We're gonna, we've are gonna we kicked off our streaming section with um, some 90s classics there, so Out of Sight and The Mask on Netflix. But we've also got, coming out on Netflix, from Sunday, in fact, is The Peanut Butter Falcon. Now, I've not caught this one yet, Van, but I've heard really positive things about this movie. I think we reviewed it uh, when it was out on Theatrical. This stars Shia LaBeouf and, in a supporting role, Dakota Johnson as well. Uh, Shia LaBeouf is a sort of wayward drifter type who befriends a young boy with, I think he has down syndrome and he's got he's sort of run away to go and try out to be a wrestler and Shia LaBeouf escorts him on his journey they're being pursued by I think it's Dakota Johnson and uh, you know social services kind of a thing and it is this sort of bonding exercise but it's done in this sort of old school almost hook thin kind of a way like you know they're on a raft at points and there's there's a lot of you know of the Huckleberry Finn influence in there but with a sort of a contemporary you know wrestling infused edge to it uh, really lovely drama really sweet very softly acted I thought Shia LaBeouf was great in it which is not a sentence I get to say that often surprisingly um, despite the fact that he is doing more and more interesting films of late uh, I would definitely check the Peanut Butter Falcon out it's on Netflix from uh, Sunday the 2nd it's coming Sunday check this out Sunday is the perfect day to have this out because it's a great Sunday afternoon film just you know sort mm. of sit with the family and watch a nice touching drama it, it absolutely look no further this is it do you know what I think also I think when Shia LaBeouf keeps it simple I think he does it really well <laughs> and that's the thing and I, I'd he like does, yeah. to say that he does that on this so um, that is the Peanut Butter Falcon that is on Netflix from Sunday for you and then looking ahead to the following week uh, we've got a film called Upgrade which is also on Netflix Netflix is turning out some real corkers oh, yeah. at the uh, this is from Friday, August the 7th. Um, tell us about this one, Van. Did, did you not get to review this when it was out on Theatrical? Because I think you really missed out on something if you didn't. No, I didn't, actually. Upgrade, no, I've not heard of it. So this was Lee Wanell's last film before he did The Invisible Man. This stars ah. Logan Marshall Green and is best described as what would happen if you actually did a good remake of RoboCop um, rather than the crap remake of RoboCop that we actually got <laughs> six years ago. 
Uh, I mean, how you have a movie with both Gary Oldman and Michael Keaton in and make it suck is beyond me. But eh, never mind. Okay, so this is basically this is the story of um, I think he's a mechanic played by Logan Marshall Green. Happens to be the spitting image of uh, Tom Hardy, and uh, literally he's like the American Tom Hardy, mm. slightly cleaner cut in an Americanish way. Um, he and his wife are involved in what seems to be an intentional driverless car accident. He is paralyzed. His wife is dead. And he is offered the chance to basically move again of his own accord using an experimental nanotechnology known as STEM. STEM, however, has a mind of its own, an artificial intelligence that, if you allow it to, can take your body over and, you know, take control and do whatever you want it to. And he employs STEM to utilize its, his skills to hunt down those responsible for murdering, what he believes is murdering his wife. And if you want a sample of just roughly how nasty and grisly and horrifying this gets, look no further. Tell me where they are. (laughs) Stan, what do I do? Use the knife. I, uh, I can't, I can't do it. I can do it for you. You don't even have to look. Okay, do it. I have my permission. Who are you talking to? You're crazy. No. Stem's using his Brad Pitt sex voice there. You see, that's what that is. <laughs> um, I just had a quick look to see if I've seen this. I... Don't know how I've missed it. It was only 2018 that it came out. It was. Do watch this. You will have such a blast with this. I say it's from Lee Wanell, who you know most recently brought us The Invisible Man. He's going to be doing The Wolfman next with Ryan Gosling as well, and of course comes from Saw, Insidious, Sinister, that kind of thing. Um, just this is a really, really great little sort of low, like micro budget sci-fi action thriller with a sort of horror-like edge. Uh, a lot of props, though, go to Logan Marshall Green for the physicality he brings to this and the style that Lee One L sort of injects into how this has been filmed. There are some some uh, fight sequences in this that you genuinely will not believe. Really great stuff. Cannot recommend this highly enough. Netflix from Friday next week. Check this out. It is so much nasty fun. Great. Well, there we go. What a way to end this week's show. So you've got great selections there on your digital platforms, on your free views, and also on your streaming as well. So that wraps things up for another week on the couch for both Van and myself. We'll be back again next week with more cinematic goodness for you all. But for now, I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. <laughs> 